Welcome to the Empowered Movement Podcast. Hello, friends. It is me, the host, Dr. Emily Rausch. I am a sports medicine chiropractor located in Boise, Idaho. I specialize in working with pole, aerial, and circus artists and treat people both in person and virtually. So if that's something that you're interested in, hit me up. Um, a few disclaimers. Well, mostly one disclaimer. I have a amazing golden retriever. His name is Samson that insists on being very close to me all the time. So there is a high chance that you will hear some random noises coming from him. It is what it is. And now on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another podcast episode. Um, like always, Samson is in the room and he's been quiet now, but he'll probably make some noise at some point. Just fair warning. I'm here with the most amazing Nikki Lab Levy. Said it right? Close enough. Close enough. I'm sorry. Um, Nikki <laughs> is good. a strength and nutrition coach, and you're in Oregon. Yeah. I am actually in Tacoma, Washington, Ooh, which is. Tacoma. Yeah. Yeah, it's where you want to live if you want to live in the Pacific Northwest near Seattle and Portland, but not be as poor. I I love that. My parents live in Graham, Washington. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the next time I am in that realm of the world, I will be reaching out to be like, we should meet in real life. Yes. Tacoma's like, yeah, super close. Anyway, it's not the point of what we're here to talk about. Um, Nikki and I spend a lot of time ranting to each other maybe a little bit of talking shit to each other in the instagram dms and recently we had a conversation about um hypermobile training and some of the messaging that's out especially in the instagram world about how to improve your body deal with injuries as a hypermobile human um not really aligning with what we think is best um actually doing a lot of harm so instead of having these conversations where we're just like validating each other's point of view in the DMs or like, why don't we validate each other's point of views like on a podcast where more people can consume it. So um, Nikki, I'll give you a moment to introduce yourself. Anything you want to share with the people? Uh, Sure. I think that um, some greatest hits, if you will, is that I have been teaching some form of exercise movement fitness since I was 19. I'm 37 now. Uh, I started in the group fitness space with the yelly, screamy, high intensity, beat the crap out of yourself style things. And this all has its place. I want to be really clear. I try not to be dogmatic, but I did not realize at the time that uh, uh, it's I do not have the diagnosis yet because anyone who's tried to do this realizes it's very hard to get diagnoses for these things. But it is likely that I have the hypermobility version of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. If I don't, I am very much on the hypermobility spectrum, and uh, it has caused a lot of challenges for me. And it has made fitness um, specifically very hard for me because I did not realize that I was working with a completely different deck of cards than the average person, and I had a lot of chronic pain and a lot of injuries, and I tried a lot of things to get out of it, and. The thing that ultimately helped me the most, I went group fitness, then Pilates with the equipment, and then ultimately landed in the strength space. Strength training is the thing that changed my life. It gave me back the ability to do things. And now uh, I have plenty of other challenges related to some of the comorbidities of hypermobility, but actually I don't really have chronic pain anymore and I don't really have chronic injuries, which is why I low-key evangelize this stuff, but also there is some exercise science to match it. So I'm not just totally talking out of my ass, I promise. I love it. How did you come to realize that you were 
on the hypermobile spectrum. You know, um, I think the first time I realized I was really bendy was cheerleading in high school and everyone was like, or no, it's even earlier than that. Um, I danced as a kid and there was this one move when I was in like third or fourth grade where the teacher just had me pull my leg over my head because I was the only one who could do it. And I was like, huh, I'm sort of flexible. And I didn't tie that into the fact that I was constantly spraining my ankles and having all these weird pains. And then in cheerleading, when I was in high school, people called me Gumby. And then um, in college, when we were doing things like different assessments for range of motion, I could pull my arms way over my head in classes in a way that none of my classmates could. And then I didn't actually realize there was a name for any of this until I was in my Pilates teacher training. I did a back bend and everyone in the room gasped and the teacher said, never do that again. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, but I didn't really realize that any of this was a problem until um, much, much later when I started having all these pain and injuries and I started doing research and talking to people and going on the internet. And I was like, oh my goodness, there's an entire community of us and we all have the same challenges. Why did no one tell me this was a thing? Yeah. And I feel like that's a really common journey for people that are hypermobile where they're like, almost party tricks, right? Like I, my body can do this. Um, I wasn't super bendy anywhere, but, but my shoulders. So I'm like, yeah, do I have unstable shoulders? Do I have hypermobile shoulders? Definitely somewhere in that um, journey. But I remember my friends asking me to do like weird things with my shoulders, like from pretty young to be like, Oh, my shoulders can't do that. Why can your shoulders do that? And not realizing that, it was yeah different or weird or something that I needed to like take into consideration as I was doing sports growing up. Like I was just like, Oh, you know, I'm throwing the javelin. This is how you throw the fact that my shoulder feels like death every single time I try to yeet that thing as far as I can, like never, never put those two together until honestly way later in my life. And I think a lot of like what would have happened, how good have I, would I have been if I like actually would have realized that and trained the way that I needed to for my own body. Yeah, absolutely. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, And because most of the sports and modalities across all of the spectrums, and honestly, even in the strength and conditioning space is not actually built on like progressively loading people sometimes, then we end up with these problems. And I think a lot of the hypermobility related problems become much more um, exacerbated or exaggerated or more profound faster. But I think something that's important to maybe point out is that some of the things that we experience, quote unquote, normal jointed people or non-hypermobile people will experience too. We just get bitten faster by the thing because we're already starting out from a place where our joints have more range of motion, less control. We have a harder time feeling where we are in space. And all of that is sort of a recipe for having pain faster. Plus we tend to have like, it's called dysautonomia. I think I've pronounced that correctly. We'll see. Mm -hmm. um, but basically we have nervous systems that don't regulate very well. And all of that is just sort of a recipe for having your joints feel like crap and having chronic pain, unfortunately. Definitely. And I think that's worth highlighting if you're a hypermobile person or maybe you're thinking that you might be on the hypermobile spectrum is it's more than just your like joints moving farther than like they're like quote unquote supposed to. Um, collagen is literally everywhere in your body. And so it can affect like your heart rate. It can affect your breathing, your um, ability to like process food. Um, eyesight, like it's, it's a full body thing, depending upon how far you are in that in that spectrum. And 
not re- not being able to like put the pieces together where it's like oh i feel really dizzy when i stand up that could be a symptom of being hypermobile it could not but it could yeah and i think the other thing that's worth pointing out with that is that it's really frustrating because a lot of the time it's not a lack of fitness or a lack of uh, conditioning or a lack of effort that is causing you to struggle. It is that you have all of these undiagnosed, difficult to treat, not taken seriously because people even in the medical system can't quickly see it on a blood test problems that are all factoring into it. So, um, you know, hypermobility, as we've sort of already said, exists on a spectrum. You can be hypermobile and have none of the comorbidities and no pain. I want to point that out. You can be hypermobile and have a lot of challenges and pain. I am, I have a lot of the comorbidities. So in addition to just having really bendy joints, I have the blood pressure of a corpse that until I was given medication for, I felt like I was going to pass out every day for um, five years. I still, I still am trying to get in with a cardiologist to be honest, but I actually still am dealing with, I, my VO2 max is really high and I can walk seven miles without stopping. But if you put me on a hill for five minutes, my heart rate shoots up, my blood pressure crashes, and I feel like I'm going to fall over and vomit. Um, that's not a conditioning problem. Like it's not, it's not poor fitness. It's that my nervous system cannot figure out what my heart rate is supposed to do relative to my blood pressure. And we don't even realize that all of these things are factoring into our fitness experience and why we tend to feel so awful and things tend to feel so hard. And then people go, well, why can't you just do that? And you don't understand physiologically that like all these things are happening to you. And I think that's that's what makes it so frustrating for us sometimes. Definitely. And there's um, a lot of misconceptions, which is what we talk about a lot, but then a lot of like lack of information about all of the the pieces that like could exist right and that might not exist it could be caused by something else so it's it's very gray very muddled trying to like kind of piecemeal what's going on and if you are working with providers that this is not something that they care about you're gonna be really like fighting an uphill battle because even though like I'm a chiropractor, so I do a lot of like joint stuff. We like barely touched on hypermobility and it would be um, like, I would end up being like kind of the the dummy person of like, this is like what ligament laxity like could feel like that was more of the conversation as opposed to like, how are they going to present? What are some symptoms that we're looking for? What are some ways that we can help people? And if like, obviously I was interested in it. So I like spent more time learning but most providers aren't going to. And so you're going to be interacting with people that have like a very elementary understanding of what hypermobility presents like. And if you don't check all of those boxes, they're going to say like, no, but really maybe yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so sticky. And you know, it's so funny. Part of what kicked off this conversation with us and how we've ended up here having this conversation is that not not so long ago, there was a fairly popular podcast, and I'm not going to mention what who they are. Um, but they this person brought on a quote unquote um, person, a quote unquote expert with like fitness and Pilates for hypermobility, and the information that this person provided in my humble opinion and in my lived experience and what I've seen with clients and also what I know of exercise science, it would actually set someone up to over time, just continue to become more and more deconditioned, weaker and weaker, and feel worse. And 
part of what just gave me blind rage listening to this podcast is that I know that my doctor listens to this podcast for information on hypermobility. And when I went and my doctor listens to me for the most part, but I have to, you know, she's, she's not a hypermobility expert. She goes, have you listened to this podcast? And I was like, oh yeah. And she goes, oh, I noticed you do strength training. Isn't that bad for you and dangerous? And I was like, no, that's something that hypermobile people really need in a way that's just thoughtfully introduced. And so it's like, unfortunately, these people are out there spreading these thought viruses using 1985 science. And now I'm on my soapbox and and then that ends up in the medical community. And then we end up in this full circle situation of people being told, don't do that. You'll hurt yourself. You're not capable. Just sit down and stay there forever. And it just drives me freaking nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's interesting seeing where what people will, will like catch on to, right? And how quickly it can spread like across like way, way too many platforms. Like, you know, there's a few people that are very well respected in this area of movement, like well respected mean they have a large following and they'll like talk to, to people that are like considered experts and not a lot of like nuance of like, this is like my opinion or like, this is what my, like their lived experience is. It's just kind of presented as like, this is it, what it is. And it's like, well, maybe it's not actually. Yes. And I think what happens is because I, I spent a lot of time in the mind, body, post rehab, tiny exercises, Pilates bubble. I did. And I, I, and I'm, I know I said things like this. I really also thought that like strength training was like quote unquote dangerous and maybe not a good idea if you were hypermobile, except my, what I noticed and what I noticed observing a lot of people in this space who like me were hypermobile. A lot of us tend to be attracted to these types of modalities is that I, I think one of the hypermobility narratives, right. Is that like your joints go in all sorts of directions. So it's like you, you have quote unquote, bad alignment, terrible posture. And if you were just able to hold your joint in quote unquote, good alignment, then you'd no longer have pain and injuries. And it's just not that simple. And I got really good at alignment. Let me tell you, I can, I can find neutral pelvis like in my sleep, like, like within like a quarter inch, like it's ridiculous how much time I spent, how much time I frankly wasted trying to have quote unquote good alignment. And you don't get better. You just don't get better. You feel a little bit better because you're not just full out hanging on in your joints, but anytime you go to do anything that's more robust beyond, I don't know, walking down the street, you immediately have pain again. And it's because you are not strong enough to just handle basic demands of daily life or any type of more robust physical activity. And so it's not that alignment is crap and it doesn't matter, but we need to be having a deeper conversation that's more nuanced. That's like, yes, we need to work on joint positioning, but we actually need to work on progressively loading things. So we aren't just falling into joint positions all the time. And unfortunately, the narrative is typically, oh, well, you are so, you're just so hypermobile and your system is so sensitive. Don't load it. You might risk pissing it off. And it's like, well, it's pissed off because it's so both underloaded and overloaded all the time. I don't know if that made sense, but that's sort of the theme I see. Yeah. And I feel like a, a few points that are worth pointing out is like life isn't lived in neutral, 
right? No. Like you, you can have like really great posture, but the second you need to bend over and do something, or you need to like twist and grab something from the back seat of your car, like unless you're going to take the extra steps to like get out of your car and then like properly hip hinge to be able to reach to grab things, like you're going to get out of neutral and like the the thought of having to take extra steps to be able to do something just to like do an average daily life thing. Absolutely not. And I, part of me like can appreciate where this narrative has come from, where it's like what we understand for movement, uh, like collagen typical human, is not going to be able to do the things with their body that a hypermobile human does? So it's the initial, like, don't do that. And like, be careful because your body, like, it shouldn't be able to do that so like just just know is way too simplistic for people that are having like really robust lives I want to live robust lives of like being able to do the cool things that they want to do and hyper focusing on alignment is is easy I think is where we get like caught up right like it's easy to be like oh if you have neutral pelvis your back won't hurt if you sit with proper posture you won't have pain and the body's more complex than that like way more complex than that. Yes, it's way more complex than that. And I think the other thing that get that's I'm that's so impractical about this advice is like, well, just don't let your joint go there. You're like, but that's what my joint does. Like you should see the position I hold my hand in when I brush my teeth. It's not right. Sometimes I like, I'll just look at my own hand and I'm like, what is that? Mm. It's just, if your joints go there, they're going to go there. So you've got two choices. You can learn to be, you can improve your body awareness and learn to be really strong in lots of positions. So when your joint goes there, you're not just like falling into end range in a way that feels really irritating and painful. Or you can be really, really hyper cautious and then your joint is still going to go there and then it's going to feel worse. And I I don't know, personally, I'd rather work on a solution that actually is practical, which is progressively building strength and then also working with the nervous system aspect of like, okay, these things are heightened, which also increases the experience of pain and stress. And let's, let's address that too, maybe simultaneously, maybe one at a time, it depends, but there's got to be something, there is something better than just do as little as possible all the time because you're not capable because that creates a narrative of people really thinking they're broken and they're, they can't do things. And the less that you do, the weaker that you become over time, the more likely it is that things are going to hurt and that you're going to overload your joints. So it's like, do you want the downward spiral or do you want the upward spiral? hundred percent, which I find is really interesting dealing with hypermobile people or working with hypermobile people of they don't want to, they don't want to be in pain, but then there's this apprehension and fear of addressing their hypermobility. Addressing meaning like properly strength training, applying progressive overload principles. And I don't know if it's because they've been told for so long that they're fragile and they need to be aware of what they're, um, what they're doing to their body, the positions that they're putting their body in, but that like, I don't know, buy-in of being like strength working on your strength is the missing piece to the puzzle for a lot of people. And that means you're going to have to like load your tissues and the fear that comes with that. I mean, I think it, I think it's both. The first thing I want to say is that the, that fear is real, right? That experience of pain, being in pain sucks. And that fear, that fear that you're going to do something and you're going to hurt yourself is legitimate because 
and I, I, I lived this before I was strength training and I got significantly stronger. My pelvis was so unstable that like, I remember one time I stepped off a curb wrong, up slipped it, and then like had hideous back and hip pain for three weeks later, just stepping off a curb. Uh, and at the same time I could, I was teaching, you know, two hours of group fitness a day, which also, by the way, was contributing to a lot of my issues. So I want to, I do want to point out that that fear is very real, but I think what people need to realize or what I, what I, what I hope to convey to people is that there is a way to progressively get stronger with a series of props and strategies that will meet you where you're at that do not have to be scary. They may, it may be muscularly challenging, which is required for strength, but when we talk about getting stronger and adding load, we're not talking about using a load that you don't feel safe or comfortable or prepared to use right now. We're talking about something that matches your current level of strength and control in that moment. And I think that's the part that people need to understand is progressive loading intelligently starts with where you're actually at. It doesn't just start with here, do this exercise with the heaviest weight you can. Good luck. Definitely. And I feel like that's one of just like strength training in general. People have a vision of like a gym bro, right? Like a completely like yoke dude, grunting, dropping, you know, hundreds of pounds of weights. And it's like, no, like, yes, that is strength training for him. But he has had to work his ass off, frankly, to get to that point. And where we're going to start you is going to be nothing like that. And it's going to be where you're appropriately challenged, but have the ability to do the exercise. Yes. And I think the other irony of it, right, is that a lot of one of the one of the really common hypermobility narratives, I even saw this on that podcast on that page of that person whose podcast I just hate listening to, which I probably shouldn't have done. But here we are, uh, is that. They're like, well, when you're younger, you're really physically capable. You're doing all these things. And then, bam, one day it hits you. You can never do anything again. And I'm like, okay, having lived this, let's let's layer in a little more nuance to this one, folks. It's not you were super capable. And then one day, bam, you had all the problems. It was you picked really uh, challenging forms of exercise. You did them while ignoring more and more and more pain signals and all of these issues that you were having, you collected like, I don't know, a freaking toy box of injuries. And then one day, all of those things became so severe that you felt completely debilitated. And now you have to rebuild your way out of it. But the thing about that is, is that if those things had been progressed intelligently with strength very slowly over time, that you probably wouldn't have had that experience. And if you actually do take the time to let things heal and build some level of foundational strength, you can return being pretty darn physically capable. Though again, there may be, and there usually are some very specific considerations depending on how hypermobile you are and other things that you have going on. Like I said, right now I walk up a hill and I feel like I'm going to fall over and die. So I have to account for that until I, you know, find the right person or to like give me something that's going to address it hopefully. But like, that's something I have to take into account when I'm going to do cardiovascular activity. That's real. So I don't want to discount that, but 
there's still a lot of things I can do and I wouldn't be able to do them if I hadn't been strength training. And I came of the world of, I was really physically capable and then bam, one day I wasn't. But I also know what got me to the bam one day I wasn't. And it wasn't just like I turned a certain age and then my hyperbilability backfired on me. It's that there's a lot of things I probably should have been doing up until that point that I didn't do. And then it just caught up to me the way it would to anyone who was sort of ignoring all of the signals from their body for, you know, a decade and a half. Definitely. And I see this a lot in gen pop that's like not hypermobile with back pain where they're like, one day I just bent over to pick up, you know, a piece of paper or like something super light. And then my back, like all of a sudden it's an excruciating pain. And they're trying to understand like in a very narrow view of like, why did I suddenly have back pain? And it's like, well, we need to zoom out. And it's like, what have you been doing? Like movement wise, strength wise, like maintenance wise for the years leading up to this, because this condition, like exacerbation did not happen usually from one instance. It's months to years of, you know, yeah, my back doesn't feel the greatest, or I'm going to spend a lot of time in one position or I'm not going to strength train. And then eventually your body's like, I can't, I can't keep, I can't keep doing this. I need something different. And then you have that like moment where you're like, everything comes together super loud. Yeah. And not giving yourself enough rest. I mean, I joke, but I'm not joking when I say this, I have a (laughs) high intensity personality (laughs) and a high maintenance, low intensity body, which is not a good combination. Uh, And one of the things that people that I think is really important for both um, like teachers and trainers, and then also just hypermobile individuals to understand is that we have a much high, we are much more prone to central nervous system fatigue, um, which means that there will be a point in which when we are, for example, strength training or doing anything strenuous, that we will hit a wall and we just feel like we can't do anymore. It's like your nervous system bottoms out. And again, it's not a lack of strength thing. It's not a lack of fitness thing. It's just, there's like, it feels like freaking shutdown. And I've, I've felt it before. And so we actually respond best to low volume, which is really annoying because it means you don't do as much. Um, And then ironically, typically lower repetitions, high repetition can be really irritating to the nervous system. And then when you're going to do low volume and lower repetitions, it's a dosage issue. You're going to typically lift a slightly, relatively speaking, heavier weight. Staying in a moderate place, you're never maxing out because you do take longer to recover. You do Mm -hmm. fatigue faster. So That's the stuff with the considerations that I'm talking about. Those things are very real, but it just means splitting up the dosage across maybe smaller bouts of exercise or just giving yourself longer to progress versus trying to do everything all at once as hard and as fast as you can. And I just really do believe that there's got to be a middle road between like, I went 110 miles and slammed into a wall And sort of the advice that I frequently see given on, you know, the school of Instagram about hypermobility, which is just use as little resistance as possible because you might flare something because your tissues are so delicate. There's something in the middle. Definitely. And we were talking a little bit before this about how the messaging of really light resistance um, for like long periods of time sets people up for osteoporosis, which I feel like is really great. To, to point out that when we're, we're talking about, you know, bodies and progressing and living a, a long life that if you're not loading your body heavy 
and heavy is relative that there are like long-term health consequences for your bones. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just it, right? Like <laughs> hypermobile people, we have some real challenges and they're, they're, they're definitely ones that are quote unquote rare, though. I don't, I'm not sure that they're as rare as people think they are. I think they're just underdiagnosed, to be honest, but we still have muscles and we still have bones. And there is at least a little bit of evidence that I have seen that it, I've definitely seen evidence that it's harder to build strength. And I've actually, I think I've saw at least one paper that said that it's a little bit harder to build muscle mass. And again, I've sort of observed this. And so the answer to that, if these are the things that are quote unquote, the deficits for you or harder for you, the answer to that is not just avoid it. The answer is like, okay, well now it's extra important because I'm still going to get older. I'm still going to have the experience of sarcopenia. I'm still going to have the experience of like, you know, we start to lose our muscle mass. We start to lose our bone mass, especially as women. And so I think it actually becomes extra important to find a way to load if and when you can in a way that's thoughtful and lets you do it for the long term as opposed to avoiding it and then regressing more. Uh, a lot of the hypermobility related issues that I see ch- just in just in the space of like having pain and just feeling like you're constantly subluxing your joints. I've observed a lot of that is actually just a lack of strength because if your joints are super bendy and floppy and go everywhere, strength is one of your best options for keeping the joint in its place. I used to sublux all the time and now it's very difficult for me to do that. And the thing that changed it, frankly, was strength training. Like I, I, I spent a lot of time on proprioception, so I'm not saying that's not important, but like proprioception was one input, but strength training was a huge part of that. Yeah. And my journey is very similar where I, um, I actively avoided strength training for a significant portion of my life for a lot of the like diet culture reasons more than like hypermobile messaging reasons. Cause I didn't realize I was hypermobile until way later in my life. Um, but it was, yeah, like, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to do things. And the amount of pain that I had prior to starting strength training and now is like night and day different. And the fear that I have around moving my body is a lot less. I still have some apprehension. And I think it's pretty normal for people that are having that experience of like, I've done this before and my shoulder decided to leave its assigned seat and I wasn't anticipating it you know, that could be incredibly terrifying. But the that fear has gone away because I know that I've been working my ass off to be like, I'm strong. And like, in this position, my shoulder is stable in this position. And so I don't need to worry as much about it deciding to not be where it's supposed to be. Yes. And, and I think a really good point in this is that I think the goal of again, thoughtfully strength training with whatever considerations that you need to be able to get there. And that might actually mean things like body work or some passive modalities. I think sometimes that that sort of some of those things that calm things down are needed to make strength training tolerable, right? So I, I do think that stuff has a role. I don't want people to think that I just think it's all crap because I don't. I, I still get body work once a month. But I think the idea or the goal of strength is to start to thoughtfully expand your bubble of what you feel safe and comfortable doing and expand your bubble. Even if you start in just working in the middle ranges that feel pretty neutral, expand your bubble of like what your body can tolerate and is capable of, because the more, the bigger that you make that bubble, the less scared you're going to be to do stuff. And there's still things outside of my bubble that I just choose not to do. I don't do a lot of high intensity frenetic stuff. 
I, we were kind of joking before we hit record. I will probably never pursue CrossFit because the amount of effort that I would have to put into to, to make my hypermobile body be able to handle CrossFit is not a level of training I ever want to do. I'm just not that motivated. I personally just want to be strong enough to not constantly fuck up my shit and be able to do semi-athletic things at a moment's notice and not feel like I'm going to die or hurt myself. But I don't have grand aspirations. If you have grand aspirations, that's great, but you're probably going to have to work a lot harder if you're hypermobile (laughs) to keep your body prepared to do that. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's worth worth pointing out is that like or one of the things i don't know the right way to say this is like taking like radical responsibility for the meat suit that you were given and like putting in the work to have it do the things that you want to do right like hypermobile bodies take a lot of maintenance bodies in general take a lot of maintenance but hypermobile bodies have like an extra layer of like maintenance that is required making sure that you're regulating your nervous system on a regular basis like putting yourselves setting yourself up for success right to be able to do the things that you want to do as opposed to pushing and pushing and pushing until you can't do the things that you want to do yeah and if you have a lot of the comorbidities like it is a pain in the ass i just want to say like i'm not going to toxic positivity this like it is annoying it means that you often have to do things that you don't want to do like i right now i'm doing these little i'm in vestibular physical therapy Every time I do these eye exercises, I feel nauseous for 10 minutes and have a minor headache before it subsides. I do not want to do these exercises two times a day, but I also am really tired of feeling car sick every time I'm in a car for more than five minutes if I'm not the driver. So some of it, right, some of it is taking responsibility for the fact where you're like, I didn't sign up for this and this sucks, but also... It is really important to me to do these things for myself because I want to be able to function. And and that's hard. That is hard in our society. It is hard in our culture. It's also just hard to figure out what those things have to be for yourself, I think. So like all of this is really tricky. But I do think that that self-honesty piece is really important of both being like, okay, either I'm not ready to do that yet, so I need to figure out a way to do that successfully and that's going to take time, or... Part, maybe part of the reason why I haven't tried this yet is because I'm afraid and maybe I need to work on trying to like, even if it's going to therapy, uh, what is it? Kinesophobia, the fear of movement is real and hypermobile people tend to develop or more likely to develop that. So I think that if that's the thing that's stopping you from moving, again, it's valid, but that's if you want to be able to move and get stronger, maybe that's actually where you have to start is working on your fear of movement before you even move. So it's always comes back down to self-honesty, you know? Definitely. And yeah, being, being clear on what, what you want, right. And what your goals are. And then being able to, I guess, acknowledge like what, what do I need to do with the meat suit that I was given to be able to get, to get there and being okay with the fact that like, it's probably going to look different than your peers, right? If you have a friend Mm -hmm. that you're, you're trying to work out with and they aren't hypermobile, it's not apples to apples, you know, it's like apples to zebra. Like they're, you're very, very different. Yeah. And I think the other thing is your body is going to look different doing things. And this is actually one of my rants is I am so tired. I have like, I, I actually feel afraid to take classes where a teacher watches me because I have a lifetime of just having people watch me move to my point earlier in a position that for me actually feels just fine. It has not resulted in injury and they just freak out. And like, it's, it's like, stop the presses. They're running over, they're fixing. And I'm just like, look, 
these are my elbows. And actually they can go about 20 degrees further than what you're looking at right now. This is what I have right now. Please just calm down. Or like if I lift lighter that day because I'm exhausted. Yeah, I get it. I'm not lifting at my max capacity. It's because I've got central nervous system fatigue, Mr. Former boot camp military guy. Shut up. Like there, there, there has to, it's really hard to be a hypermobile person in a fitness space with people who don't understand hypermobility because they don't understand that sometimes you do have to slow down or do less. And that's really hard. Definitely. Would you actually bring up a super interesting thing that I got a lot of flack on Instagram for where you can put your body into positions and if it doesn't bother you, that that's okay. Right. There's a lot of messaging <laughs> around the the one that like came up is, and I'll be intrigued to see your thoughts of like locking your elbows out. And there's a few pole moves. Like obviously I, I do pole dancing where having your elbow bent from my perspective is a disadvantage, but hypermobile people, when they lock their elbows out, it makes a different shape than someone that's not hypermobile. And if it doesn't bother you, I don't see an issue with it, but oh my God, people came for my throat with that, where I was like, I don't feel like we should blanket statement that like people can't be in positions because you think that it's not good for bodies. And here's the nuance in it. So if you are someone who's hypermobile, and you have not you you haven't spent a lot of time developing you know proprioception body awareness muscular control muscular strength and you walk up and you hang your body weight in a lockout in a locked elbow position it probably will not feel good to be honest like mm-hmm. it 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 probably will feel scary because there is not a lot of strength or control around the joint and as we know pain is very complex but when the nervous system senses instability and a lack of strength and control it may create an experience of pain so do i think that that's the most favorable position for someone especially when they're brand new no but here's the context of this is at least in my experience, well, there's a few things. When you get to a certain level of strength, like let's say I'm doing a Turkish getup, if I try to do a Turkish getup with 35 pounds over my head and a micro bend in my elbows, I'm going to drop that weight on my head because it's not a stable position. And when my elbow is in full, ex- and when my elbow is fully extended, which yes, looks hyperextended more on the right than the left because we're not symmetrical beings, by the way, it's fine. It's not hurting me because I have muscular control. I am genuine. I am generating muscular strength and engagement around all of those joints for the entire time that I have that bell over my head. I'm not hanging out or dumping in my joints. And I think that that is the nuance and the difference of it is sometimes the locked position is the most stable position, assuming that you have good strength and control in it. And you're not just hanging out or dumping. And that looks different on everyone. Definitely. And the position that I was talking about is most people have pain with it. And it's been taught historically in pole studios to have a micro bend in that elbow. And then people are coming to me like crying because I can't do things because their elbow hurts really bad. And I'm like, hey, one, yeah, like let's work on like, you know, positioning technique, the strength, the control to do that. But then also have you thought about the idea that like having to stabilize in a micro bent elbow (laughs) while like holding your body weight up, like may, may be part of the problem. And being as it was like, you've only been taught it to have the micro bend. Like what if we tried with it like locked and like a lot of times it obviously there's like more, more to the puzzle, but like, minor tweaks like that get it to go away but 
I don't know. People people have a hard time with nuance. It's just it's a lot easier to say, don't ever lock out your elbows and you won't have elbow pain. Right. But again, what happens if your if your elbow has that range and then you end up having to lock it? Like I remember there was one time I slipped on ice and I hand, my arm fell behind me and I fell on my arm in a hyperextended elbow. And this was after I'd been strength training for a couple of years. And I was amazed. I was fine. And I do wonder if part of the reason why I was fine is because, again, I'm not hanging out in my end ranges of motion. I'm not forcing my end ranges of motion. But I do use my end ranges of motion. If I'm doing a getup, I'm going to go into full lockout, not in a place that's unstable, but like your L, your range is your range. And so I think trying to teach yourself just to avoid it doesn't really make sense because at some point something's going to happen unexpectedly where you're going to end up having to use that range and you have two choices. You can, again, you can do, you, and you work your way to working in this range. You don't just start there, but when that thing happens, do you want to end up in a range that you haven't used in years and then it's really scary and unfortunate and uncomfortable and there's no strength there? Or do you want to end up in that range that you actually have built some strength and control and awareness around so when that thing happens, you actually have a fighting chance at it of it not going horribly wrong? Definitely. Yeah. One of the phrases I like is, if you don't put yourself in positions, life will put yourself, you put yourself in that position and you have the option to be able to control it by working to be able to control it or just like letting gravity like take you where it wants to take you and your tissues being like I can't handle this like yeah. goodbye <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think what's so interesting in the space that I inhabit and what I'm trying to advocate for is I'm not suggesting that hypermobile people are doing these grand huge ranges of motion which ironically they're actually going to be more likely to do um, sometimes in some of the things that they're gravitating towards that discourage strength I'm sorry Pilates community some of the Pilates community is doing that in yoga but like we're talking about like if you have a lot of instability and you get dizzy right we're talking about sitting on a box or a chair putting one hand against a wall and then doing a single arm overhead press we're talking about actually isolating joint movement and building strength in specific directions we're talking about a basic deadlift, a basic squat. If a squat feels inaccessible or scary on your knees, maybe it's a wall squat that's isometric and you just stay there first. We're not talking about big grand ranges of motion or big exciting things. We're actually talking about really basic foundational loading in positions that you're probably going to have to use throughout your life. And that's, I guess, what I find perplexing when people are like, don't strength train. I'm like, it's upright, functional, and pretty straightforward. It's actually one of the safer things you could do if you're doing it thoughtfully. Definitely. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between um, the messaging around hypermobile people and the messaging around elderly, where mm -hmm. there's, you know, well, I feel like it's shifting, at least the, the communities that I interact with where it's shifting, where um, like we're wanting to load our elderly patients more and more but for a long time it was you know the little pink weights were for grandmas working out the little blue weights like you know two three pounds and then they're gonna go lift a gallon of milk that weighs what like five I don't know how much a gallon of milk weighs um or like a bag of flour or their laundry and their that task of daily living is beyond their capacity like incredibly beyond their capacity and their training is not coming anywhere close to increasing their capacity for movement in any way, shape, or form. And I feel like that's kind of what the broader messaging around hypermobile it 
people is, is like, we're going to be at the very end of your like low range of your capacity and we're never going to work on improving it. And then we're just, why are hypermobile people in pain all the time? Why are we dealing with injuries all the time? And it's like, well, the writing is on the wall if you care to read it. Well, well, it's like we're not even working below. We're 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 not even working like slightly below your capacity. Sometimes we're working way below your capacity. Yeah. I found someone sent me this paper <laughs> from this quote unquote like hypermobility doctor, this clown in Rockville, Maryland, and this guy. One of his things he was like, hypermobile people should never lift more than ten pounds. And I was like, okay, hold up, because. Now we are assuming that all hypermobile people are the same. And I have so many questions. We're never supposed to lift more than 10 pounds over our head. We're never supposed to lift more than 10 pounds total. We're never supposed to lift more than 10 pounds when we squat. What if something in our life is more than 10 pounds? And also, what is this assumption that every single person has the same base level of strength? Like some of these directives that are created are so silly. And also, what if you're someone like me who has a pretty robust background that even at my most injured, I could always lift more than 10 pounds. Why would you start me there? So I think that's one of the other problems is we sort of put people in this little bubble in this little bucket and we don't see them as like this human with all of these lived experiences and capabilities and challenges and things that they need relative to them. We just create a directive, which is like, don't do that. That's dangerous. Definitely. Which, like immediately the first thing that came to mind was like our hypermobile people not having kids, right? Like your <laughs> newborn baby is going to weigh 10 pounds. Some babies are born at 10 pounds. So you don't get to pick your child up like literally ever or yeah, groceries weigh more than 10 pounds. But, yeah. There's a lot of like logic that is missed when people have these blanket statements that if you take a moment to pause and think about it, like you're like, that doesn't make sense. But a lot of a lot of people I think are looking for guidance and like, you know, some sort of direction, like, please, someone tell me what to do because, you know, I don't know, I need help. And then the guidance that they're given is not, not even like harmful. Well, it's harmful. I was like, it's not helpful at all. It's like exact opposite. It's like doing more damage long-term than actually benefiting at all. Yeah. And I think with hypermobility, and I'm sure this happens with all sorts of populations and communities, we end up on these on two sides of an extreme spectrum when we go ask for help. We end up with someone who starts us way below our capacity and talks to us like we are a small, small child without the cognitive capabilities of understanding them, which drives me batty, where I'm like, yeah, I get it. My elbows look weird to you, but that didn't affect my brain. I understand what you're saying. Like, please stop talking down to me. My goodness, right? That that happens a lot. That's happened a lot to me. Or we go to someone and we're like, I really can't do this. That's really not going to feel good. That's way too much for where I'm at right now. And the person goes, you're fine. You look young and healthy and you're fine and you can do it. And then you do it because you feel pressured to. And then that also hurts. And then you also end up feeling injured. And so- I think that the big issue here is that we're not really looking at that individual and going, okay, but like what actually, where is this person actually at the way that we should with anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's too easy. I, well, I think it's, it's easier for people to put people in boxes, right? Where it's like, you're hypermobile, therefore X, Y, and Z. And you can do that with like any, any kind of person or any like movement to be like, this is what, you know, the normal standard deviation is and like you should fall in between not taking into consideration that like everyone has a different lived experience movement background 
way that they're comfortable moving all of the things and like meeting people really where they are and then progressing from there. Yes. And then, you know, if you are then working with yourself, you, the hypermobile individual, also giving yourself the grace of realizing that you might have to start from a place that feels pretty regressed for some things to like get better. And that's really annoying, right? I think one of the reasons why I avoided strength training for so long was I I don't like things that I'm not already good at. And I wasn't good at strength training. I'm not naturally strong at all. I have very long floppy joints. I have long levers and floppy joints, which means I do not have the makings of a power lifter or a bodybuilder. This stuff does not come naturally to me, but it's also been the thing that's been most impactful and valuable in terms of my quality of life and living without pain. So like it was worth being bad at. <laughs> Definitely. And on yeah, honestly, same like the, when I was first learning how to lift, the, I had a, uh, what did he do? power lifter kind of crossfitting person helping me and we had to have like a few come to jesus talks of like dude like i know you know this but you're gonna have to like break this way down like we can't go into like just grab a weight and do a squat we need to go over like how can i control a squat movement and like let's let's start with that and then we can add load like once i understand you know what where my body is in space And what my joints are like, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be doing. And there's a lot, I have a lot of thoughts on like everybody's squats going to look different. Everybody's everything's going to look kind of different, but like, yeah, not just, yeah, we're, we're going too fast. Yeah. And I mean, I do think that like, there is something to be said for technique. There is a time and a place for some level of alignment education, if only because it gives you an outline of somewhere to start. So whenever I talk about why strength training is important and, you know, alignment doesn't correlate very well with pain and injury, I'm never saying, well, screw your alignment, just do everything as hard and fast as possible in any form you want. (laughs) There are more efficient ways to load. But again, I think that it needs to be layered into the context and the nuance of like, also, what is the end goal? And the end goal is not a perfectly symmetrical pelvis. The end goal is being able to feel capable and robust and strong and like your world is getting bigger and you're able to do things and not be so afraid of hurting yourself. Definitely. I have so many thoughts on the, there's like a quite a few really popular Instagram accounts where they'll like draw lines and arrows of like, <laughs> you know, things. And I'm like, Ooh, oh my God, no. You know, and like, I feel like maybe there's a time and a place where, you know, you're a really high level athlete and we're looking to get, you know, one to 2% better because you are really vying for like the gold medal and whatever your thing is. Like, let's be nitpicky, but past a certain point, I'm like, fucking chill people like okay but but here's the thing with the high level athlete have you ever i mean you've watched high level athletes move their quote-unquote alignment is abysmal it is like yeah they're incredible athletes they do incredible things and their feet look janky as fuck so like that's clearly clearly drawing a line on their big toe is not going to make you know lebron james dunk that much better no yeah one of my favorite things um to like debunk this is to pull up running i used to be like a pretty avid runner and like running form is like there oh god that's a whole thing and you pull up um all all types of running whether it's like sprinting to marathon runners and you watch them run like high level athletes they will all run differently and their form is nowhere close to textbook 
like there might be like a stride where you're like i could screen capture that and be like that would look like the textbook of a running gait analysis that i have and the hyper fixation on yeah fixing your your gait and we can extrapolate this to like any movement is is too much yeah. And, and frankly, the evidence just isn't there. If you really try to find the evidence of like, you know, if you run a certain way, you're more likely to be injured. That's not there. I, I just, I just think that the hyperfixation and pathologizing of alignment is not a constructive conversation to have. Are there sometimes instances where positions will be painful for an individual for a variety of reasons? Yes. Are there less optimal loading patterns? Yes. But do we need to have a panic attack every time we see someone's elbows if they're not having a panic attack? Probably not. No. Yeah. Which honestly brings up like a really interesting interaction I had with some one of my clients the other day. I didn't realize that she didn't know that her knees hyperextend. Um, like I was watching her, her videos and I was just like, Hey, just wanted to check in and make sure that like the movement that we're doing with your knee being like as locked as it is, isn't causing any of your, your knee pain. Cause it like hyperextended a little bit. And she was like, what do you mean? My knees hyperextend. And I was like, Oh, we need disregard. Like you're fine. Obviously you were not aware that this was going on. You weren't having any discomfort with it. So if you're not stressed about it, I'm not stressed about it. Let's move. Yeah. And and I think that this just continues to reiterate this really important point, which is, is the quote unquote alignment the issue or is the lack of control through the movement the issue? Like which one is really, which one is a better goal? Which one is the thing we really need to be watching for? Which one's going to create a better outcome? Because we don't adopt any one alignment for any one period of time. And this time we've had this conversation, I think I've switched leg positions at least 35 times. Like no one's, no one's living in neutral. No. Oh, and maybe if they are, like, I'm sure they're in pain too, because it's like not, it's not a fun time to only just sit in one position forever. Right. And also because we know a lack of movement variability is one of the things that may contribute to pain. So Good if fun. you only are neutral all the time, then that may also start to become a painful position because pain is really complex and so are humans. Yes. I have one. Um, we've almost been going for an hour already. Holy smokes. Um, final question that might be like a little bit of a heated conversation. I would love to know with all of the stuff that you post on Instagram how do people react to it? Do you get a lot of pushback? Do you get a lot of support kind of in the mix? I would I would say it's a mixed bag. I mean, my Instagram community for the most part is actually really quite lovely. Um, there it's, it's, an, it's a little bit of, as Instagram has created this algorithm, it's a little bit of an echo chamber sometimes where there are a lot of people who follow me who are either intrigued by the idea of strength. They, they, they want to get started with their hypermobile. Maybe they're a little bit concerned or fearful, which really makes sense. Or it's people who are also practitioners or teachers who have found that hypermobile, that, that strength has really helped their hypermobility, um, and, and has helped them feel you know, live with less pain and be able to do more. And then there's sort of like that very vocal 1% that unfortunately somehow lives in my brain, takes up more space in my brain than I would like them to, who I'm not quite sure why they're following me because my message has not changed for several years, which is that while, again, your pain is real and your experience is real, and yes, there is such a thing as having sheer force on a joint based off of certain positions, um, 
that is very painful and some positions can be painful. Alignment is not the be all end all if you want to feel better. Uh, and it does not correlate well with pain and injury. And interestingly enough, saying that and also saying that it's okay to be asymmetrical are the two most controversial things I could say on my Instagram, aside from you probably shouldn't be always pulling your belly button to your spine. That one really also sets people off for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Do you have a few more minutes? Because I there's yeah, yes, lots lots of there. this. So <laughs> I feel like we talked about alignment. Symmetry is super interesting because that in the pole world is a super common thing to bring up where it's like everything should be able to be done on both sides. Like, you know, we should be equal. And like obviously, yes, there's benefits when it comes to like being able to access tricks like in a combo of like if you can only do some things on one side, that's gonna limit your ability to like make a uh, choreographed routine. But assuming that your left side and your right side are going to be exactly the same makes zero fucking sense to me. It's not possible. What a terrible goal. Like that's the thing. Why have we made (laughs) symmetry the goal? It's impossible. Like what a thankless, terrible thing to go after. It's like you are five six and you make your goal in life to be five ten or five one. Like you are going to be unhappy forever. Stop making that a goal. It's not fucking possible, people. Yes. And if we go even into like in internal anatomy, like we are yeah. not symmetrical beings. This was a very controversial point when I was in my sports medicine masters, because one of the questions was like, should we aim for symmetry with things? And I said no. And the instructor was like, explain yourself. And I was like, why do we have a dominant arm if we're trying to be <laughs> symmetrical? Like, why why did we evolve that way? Like, we wouldn't have a, a dominant arm if, like, we were destined to have complete symmetry. We wouldn't have a dominant leg. Like, no. Let's use what we have to our advantage and not, not only train, like, one half of our body, but expecting things to be, like, same, same everywhere is impossible. And we set people well- up for failure. And again, it's not a very smart training paradigm. Like if your goal is just to shove your joints in a position that looks symmetrical, what's the point? What did that get you? Whereas a lot of the time, you know, if you have a dominant and a non-dominant side, that those two sides actually are better at different skills. And then, so you have two choices here. You can try to shove them in different weird positions to make them look quote unquote alike for absolutely no reason. Or you can be like, wow, this side's really good at humoral or, you know, humoral internal rotation. And this side's really good at humoral external rotation. So let's just train these things to be more skilled in more directions. Like that's a lot more logical. And if you look more symmetrical at the end, yay, you get a cookie. I don't know. There's no point. Do you want to be better? You want to be a better mover or do you just want to have an even pelvis? Yes. And like, unless you're doing what, like bodybuilding and like that, like symmetry is what you're aiming for with your, you know, physique. Yeah. From an athletic standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense. And then lastly, the cue, pull your belly button towards your spine. (laughs) My core is super engaged, right? That's all I have to do to suck in. (laughs) There's, There's so many... Here's the thing. If you're someone who's just randomly using it in a group fitness class, do I think that you're harming people? Probably not. But like in terms of, again, how the core actually functions, we want our, we actually are, are, the whole core training thing, this could be its own podcast, but like 
Your core basically is going to do two things. It's the thing in the middle that's controlling force transmission from the upper to the lower body. So sometimes you need it to be stiff. And then at the same time, you also need it to be able to bend and move. So it needs to be able to resist forces and it needs to be able to also rotate and move because like even walking requires every type of movement that a joint could make possible. It's very, very complex. So this idea of your only strategy and the thing that's going to quote unquote keep your spine safe is to just suck it in and never move it again is wild because... You want your core to be able to respond to the amount of load and the thing that you are doing. Uh, And then beyond that, a lot of the time when people suck it in and they never move it again, then they disrupt their pelvic floor. So you often see more like pelvic floor dysfunction, even in people who have never had children. Like this idea that holding it in is the best option. It's actually not the most stable position for your spine. If you're going to lift a heavy weight, there's actually a lot of issues with it. It's a pretty problematic cue and it's not actually keeping anyone safe. Definitely. The um, phrase I like is tension to task, right? Like there is times when you really need a lot of like core tension to happen. And then there's other times where you're like, I need some, but I need my body to also, you know, like rotate and laterally flex. And I need to crunch at the same time, like speaking of some pole moves, like if you're like just belly button to spine trying to do things, And then you're having a hard time because you're like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, how am I supposed to keep my belly button to my spine and then also rotate and laterally flex it and like flex my trunk and you can't like you're you're like, let your belly button go. And I will almost guarantee that things will go a lot better for you. Yeah. And I think the grand irony of it is if you need to generate a lot of core tension, you wouldn't do it by sucking navel to spine. That's a really inefficient pattern that's not stable for the spine. And to me, that's the grand irony of all of this. (laughs) Yes. What cues do you like for core? I'll be honest. I don't really cue core. I just said something super blasphemous. Everyone's going to cancel me. I tend to cue. No, it's, but it's true. I tend to cue position. So I tend to cue like, what are your ribs doing relative to your pelvis? If it's Mm. something like a bird dog or a dead bug or core stabilization exercise, I'll be like, can you move in your arm? Can you move your arm and your leg without changing the position of your ribs and your pelvis? So my, my core cues are not core cues. Um, They tend to be positional. And if a client tells me, well, I feel really comforted and my back feels better when I really think about embracing my core, engaging, I go, okay, great. But most of the time, I'm not spending a bunch of time cueing that. I'm cueing the position and I'm asking people what their experience is. I could could care less most of the time if you suck it in or set your core unless I see something really wild happening in your movement pattern. Definitely. And yeah, I think that's honestly the best way is like, what, yeah, what are you asking your, your body to do? And then what do we want to have moving? What do we not want to have coming along to the party for that particular exercise? Or how do you want it to come along with and cueing that way? Right. Because if you are able to maintain the position you are trying to maintain, or you're trying to stack the joints the way that you're trying to stack them, or you're using an appropriate amount of load, sometimes people don't feel things because they're just not actually using a heavy enough load, right? That's something you just, I didn't say about hypermobility, but actually adding load helps you feel your muscles and sometimes makes an exercise much more successful. Those things are all going to get your core to turn on in a much more efficient, helpful, and effective way than just sucking it in. And so that's why those are the things I focus on. Completely agree. 
Well, Nikki, it's been amazing. We're a little over an hour. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would want to make sure is out to the universe? I mean, I think I'm just going to end on this sort of note, which is always, I think, the, the thing I'm trying to get across to people, which is if you are struggling with pain, injury, hypermobility, all of these things, those experiences are real. And sometimes the outside world will tell us that they are not real. They're very real. If you're experiencing it, you're experiencing it. That's real. Um, And those things require consideration and problem solving and can be pretty frustrating to try to muddle your way through because hypermobility is really poorly understood um, in medicine and in the movement world. But on the flip side, that doesn't mean that you're not capable of things. That doesn't mean that things cannot get better. That doesn't mean that there aren't some sort of solution. Are there magical solutions that will solve all your problems? Probably not. Will it probably take a while to address some of these things? Yes. But at the same time, there are always things that you can do. There are always things that can be addressed and things can get better. And your body is capable of things. So if someone's pushing the narrative on you that like, oh, well, you used to be able to do it, but no more. I, that's someone who doesn't have a lot of forethought or creativity or a lot of, I don't know, frankly, sense and being able to sort of see the wide breadth of our ability to heal and move and do things and progress, even if our process of doing that doesn't look the same as, say, someone else who's not hypermobile does. So that's my final message. Well, thank you so much for all of your thoughts and your time today. And I look forward to ranting with you in the Instagram DMs. Probably yes, very, for having me. very soon. <laughs> okay. 